So now, in Canto 31, Dante sees paradise stretched out before him. Two metaphors dominate how he sees paradise and so tries to convey to us the felt experience of being there. One is the mystic rose, this white rose. It was a metaphor that in the medieval times captured all sorts of experiences of life for people. I think that you can get some sense of that even now when you look at a rose and think that it brings together, on the one hand, beauty, of course, a kind of clarity of beauty too, in its petals, in its colour. It seems to convey the essence of flower as much as the rose that it is itself. It also conveys something of reason, even intellect, you might say, because the rose is an ordered flower. Its structure feels strong as its petals unfold. Um, it has that circular, layered organisation that speaks to then not just the beauty, but also of reason and pattern. But then also it's a flower of love. Um, so it's a flower of passion as well. And so brings together in its very presence, form, beauty, passion, the very things that have been driving Dante to this point that have come together more and more in him, unveiling this paradisal reality to him. So it's quite natural that that should be reflected in the image of the rose, conveying to us the sense of what it's like to know this dimension of all things. The second image that forms and conveys to us his sense of paradise is that of an amphitheatre. And an amphitheatre a bit like, say, the Colosseum in Rome, with tiered seats. But this amphitheatre is slightly different. Um, it does capture the sense that all things are gathered here in paradise, much as the amphitheatre with its circular shape and focused down conveys the sense that somehow all of life is being represented in the performance going on down in the stage. So there's something about paradise gathering all things in the shape of the amphitheatre. But there's something else too, that in this paradise amphitheatre, the life, the source, is actually up at the top of the amphitheatre. It's over and beyond the manifestation of life that the amphitheatre itself captures, contains and represents. So that's a difference here. This is paradise, and yet even in paradise is a full awareness that the divine source of the life that it contains actually is bigger than the life that it contains. This amphitheatre rose is full of life, and yet that life itself is only a reflection, a sharing, a manifestation, full now, conscious, knowing, glorious, but of a wider life still, the life of God. And as Dante looks at this rose amphitheatre, he sees the angels like as many bees 
descending into a rose to collect the nectar and then taking that to the hive which is the godhead itself that as it were is the source where the honey is made where the life is made where the life emanates from and so he sees these angels he says they have red faces golden wings white bodies the colors of glory and triumph he sees them filling the rose um, more densely than you would see bees and insects in real life with their activity and their vitality and yet they also don't stop any of the sight because all the components of this multi-layered amphitheatre, this organised beautiful rose, these angel bees buzzing around, they all reflect the same light, the one light. And so whilst there's a glorious image of activity and life and diversity in this image of paradise, there's also a complete representation of unity because they all sing in their individual way of the one life and light. This is the inner understanding of the Trinitarian life that's at the heart of the Christian vision of things and I think is captured in different ways in other mystical um, wisdom traditions as well. It's the understanding that actually it's plurality that makes for the plenitude of unity as opposed to singleness making for unity. It rests on the insight that there can be separation without distinction. If you think perhaps of a wave in the sea, it's its own thing. And at that particular point in a way, it is the sea. And yet it is distinct without being separate from the sea. It simultaneously couldn't exist apart from the sea to which it belongs. And that is the vision that Dante now fosters in us when he just sings the praises of the triune light um, that is the one star blazing and filling all the lights that he sees around him. Um, this idea that three, in fact, is the perfect number because it has beginning, middle and end gathered together into a completeness. It has multiplicity singing even more of the unity. It has an inner life that is at the same time flowing as well as one. That is the intuitive perception of things that Dante is now seeing manifest before him. And he also does so by referencing some um, metaphors, uh, drawing on old myths. Um, he talks, for example, about um, the great bear in the sky, um, the Ursa Major, that's followed around the sky by Ursa Minor, um, the, the baby bear, the young bear. Um, and he talks too about pilgrimage a lot. Um, he talks about arriving at the Lateran Palace, this tremendous palace in Rome. And later in the canto, he talks about the pilgrim who has come to see the handkerchief of Veronica, and on the handkerchief of Veronica um, is the impression of the Christ before he was crucified on the cross. Um, and these metaphors, I think, convey, first of all, something of the distance that he's travelled, you know, like a pilgrim coming to Rome, um, like the pilgrim coming to see the handkerchief of Veronica. Um, there's something about gathering in all that journey, all that distance, that also facilitates 
seeing this one true sight now. Um, it's not something that just flashes instantaneously before you. It's something that flashes instantaneously before you because of all that's happened before, all that you've seen before that's not the true light, and yet carries some echo or reflection of the true light. Um, this is the tuning in that Dante has had to undergo in the descent and the ascent that isn't the true light, but makes him ready to see it as he very shortly will. Again, that's something of the paradox of this spiritual journey. The journey must be undergone, and yet actually, when the sight is seen, it's almost as if the journey didn't happen because the journey has all been headed to this one point for all that's happened along the way. And the pilgrim knows that. Um, you know, sometimes the pilgrimage when you're making the journey does feel like the journey is the point and yet it's because that there is a goal to this journey a kind of organizing principle around which it revolves that the journey has meaning and so the point of the journey the goal the destination is that indeed i think he references ursa major and ursa minor the great and little bear um, a mother and a child uh, because that sets resonating in our minds what's going to become important in this canto as well. Because when he's contemplating the paradise, he's going to be invited to cast his eyes towards the Virgin Mary, um, the mother who bore the child. Um, and I think this is the beginnings of the culmination of Dante's journey through this love called Eros, through this love of desire that began when, as a youth, he fell in infatuated, erotic, sexual love with Beatrice. Um, he wanted to possess, to have, to hold. It organised his life around what he felt he lacked and missed when he didn't have sight of her. Um, that was the love that he confronted early in paradise, in purgatory, during the first night of purgatory, when he has that dream of the abduction of Ganymede and Jupiter taking the beautiful youth into the high heavens because he wanted to have that beauty besides him. He had to confront that possessive love so that it could be transformed more perfectly into the erotic love that can carry you, whose energy can become the vehicle of riding into greater heights and this was given a foretaste of him by Saint Lucy who appeared to him um, while he was sleeping on the mountainside and carried him to the threshold of paradise where he could work through his possessiveness and make it become that which could carry him. That was the first big transformation of his erotic love, finally burnt off um, and perfected, purified in the final wall of fire before he entered um, the heavenly Eden at the top of Mount Purgatory. And then he could gradually take that love back into himself um, as he's learned through paradise by gazing on the eyes of Beatrice that gradually enable him to take in more and more and more of that light in this steady measure um, as he moves through this um, incredibly nuanced spiritual journey of taking in and having but not in such a way as to possess and to cling on to, but to be able to have so as to flow and be carried, so that increasingly he can become one with this love that is 
enabling him to rise. And that is seen as being brought to perfection in the vision of the Virgin. To cut to the chase, I think the point about Mary is that she didn't know God by wanting to have in a possessive way. She also didn't know God by being carried into the heavens, maybe by image, by love, by desire, though I'm sure that she had those things too. The primary way that the, that the Virgin knew God was because God was born within her. God was part of her. She could contemplate the divine in the birth of Jesus, in her own person, in her own body, in her own spirit and life. And that is the tremendous culmination of this transformation of Eros that has been running steadily right through the Divine Comedy. That Dante is beginning to know the incarnate Christ born within him, I think is signalled by two things that happen through Canto 31. The first is that Beatrice isn't there. He has partly realised in the previous canto that he must move on even from Beatrice in order to complete his journey when he thanked her and sang her praises, sang the praises of her beauty in the previous canto. And But now as he's contemplating paradise, almost an old habit creeps up on him and he turns around to ask Beatrice further questions and she's not there. It surprises him momentarily, um, not in such a profound way as he had been surprised when Virgil wasn't behind him in the Garden of Eden on the top of Mount Purgatory. Um, and what he sees behind him now um, is um, a new guide. Um, he's only going to guide uh, Dante for a couple of cantos, um, so he's more like the completion, I think, of Beatrice's guidance that needed to happen because he needs to let go of Beatrice to take this love fully into himself. He is St Bernard, um, and I think Dante sees St Bernard because to Dante, Bernard was the greatest exponent of the contemplative love that Mary knew, which is why she is the patron saint of all contemplatives. Um, he also was the singer the preacher of the Second Crusade. Now, that is a difficult thing for us to tolerate, stomach, digest now, knowing what the Crusades entailed. Um, but I think that we need to see St Bernard's zeal, passion, um, in much the same way, say, for example, that we saw Justinian's zeal and passion um, in the heaven of Mercury, um, that it's not how it manifests on earth that actually counts here in heaven. It's what the passion and zeal itself sought and desired that counts. And so Bernard sought the Second Crusade because he realised that Christians' spiritual origins were becoming cut off. It was losing track. This theme, again, that's been so powerful throughout the comedy um, that the Church of Medieval Christianity um, had become lost. And Bernard realised it needs to reconnect with this spiritual source and origin. Partly that was manifest in his contemplative life, that, if you like, was the, the heavenly aspect of his zeal. Um, but it also manifest um, in an earthly um, uh, desire to reconquest Jerusalem, um, the city on earth that um, stands for the source of divine life. Um, that led to horrible bloodshed 
here in heaven where all is seen, uh, all is brought together and the, the true essence of desire um, is celebrated and sung and um, rejoiced and um, fulfilled. Bernard stands for that now to Dante. And so he can tell Dante to look towards the Virgin. Bernard says to Dante, don't keep looking at me. Don't keep looking down in these lower terraces of the amphitheatre rows. Look up to the highest point, which Dante does. He's drawn by the light. He can look at the light himself. And he sees there the Virgin, the culmination of the Christian incarnation in a human being, in any human being that is both um, her joy and all human beings' destiny too, to know God within themselves. He sees her light and he sees the angels around her. It's at this point that he recalls the pilgrim coming to see the handkerchief of Veronica, hoping to catch an image of Christ in the cloth. And the contrast here is that Mary did see Christ in the flesh, but doesn't need to because she knew Christ intimately in her own person um, as a mother and child directly. Um, and so he sings her praises as well. He says that seeing her was like watching the sun rise at dawn, that bright moment of vivid new light um, that's greater even than the sun setting at dusk. And he also describes how it's like looking at the sun at the zenith at the same time, this way that images and metaphors can be layered here in paradise because everything is seen all at once in its infinite manifestations. Words fail Dante towards the end of this canto as he seeks to describe the beauty and the bliss and the activity of the light and the angels and Mary. Um, this is words properly coming to a halt to tip us into conjuring a direct awareness of what he's talking about within us, within our mind's eye, to join him at least in part in this sight. Um, it's also a reflection of the fact that this is a place where space and time don't have meaning. And so memory, which is the remembrance of things past, present, and the anticipations of things in the future, memory has no meaning either. Everything is seen in its oneness and entirety. And so Dante is conveying that to us by this ineffable sight. Um, it's not a failure in the sense of not being able to know what he's seeing. It's the necessary failure precisely to know what he's seeing, because it can only be known in this eternal dimension and realm that we can taste and dip into inside us, much as the, Virg the Virgin Mary knew that fullness inside her completely. And the canto ends when Dante becomes aware that as he is gazing at Mary, so too Bernard gazes at Mary. And his passion, Bernard's passion, and Mary's passion momentarily join in a kind of anticipation of the Trinitarian life and light of God. They join together not to diminish each other, not to be in competition with each other, the old earthly ways, but in joining together, they become even more than they might have been before, if that were possible. The fullness of this light and joy becomes even more evident in Dante's love 
in this high moment and yet there's still a little bit more to say and there's still the culmination of the whole journey to try to capture and express he's seen Mary the saint who holds out that hope in the Christian imagination now he must move finally to the culminating moment to see and know that directly himself.